Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew our life, liberty, property, and everything that matters to our human survival as a human race. If you don't want to be eating bugs, living in a 15-minute city with your central digital bank currency allotment based on your vaccine status, well, you better listen up here. This is the place for you because time is running out here at CR Podcast. It is Tuesday, April 18th. Interesting uh, anniversary in history. It was the date in 1942, Colonel Jimmy Doolittle. The Doolittle Raid. He uh, raided with a bunch of B-25 bombers, uh, attacked Tokyo, and it was kind of a much-needed galvanizing moment where Americans were despondent from the fact that they'd been attacked for the first time in history they were unprepared and it really gave that morale boost we need our doolittle raid not a doolittle as in terms of the uh two separate words for (laughs) describing the conservative inc movement to do a lot but we need a doolittle galvanizing moment so the question today is could this debt ceiling fight and the budget fight coming up Could that be the galvanizing moment? We will find out. We'll have on Congressman Thomas Massey, probably the best positioned to speak with clarity about what is going on today. Obviously, they just came out of conference. That is the GOP House discussing their plans for the debt ceiling fight. Is it something worthy of supporting? Is it something that will galvanize us? We will see. First off, our sponsor today, very appropriately, today is actually a belated tax day, uh, the day that you owe your taxes um, so you could spend it on the government that then uses your funding to kill our life, liberty, and property. Obviously, inflation has consequences. As we see, it's off to the races. I love it when they say, oh, inflation's down. Yeah, everything except for all the things that matter, transportation, fuel, food, and shelter, Um, But the feds are likely going to raise interest rates one more time um, to combat out-of-control government spending. Long-term bonds have diminished in value. You have an inverted yield curve now. All this going on, it makes it the best time to diversify with gold and silver with birch gold. So again, um, today's the last day, obviously, to file your taxes, but it's not too early to begin for this tax year to set up an IRA or 401k. Um, if you're like me, you know, I owed about $4,000 this year. I had to shell out a mixture of state and federal. So, in order to reduce some of that burden, I had uh, both my wife and myself, we contributed to an IRA, uh, traditional IRA, so you get the tax benefit right away. But what are you going to put it into? BlackRock, Vanguard, Fidelity, or are you going to put it in? to something of value, historic value. 
to find out how to convert your IRA or create a new one with Birch Gold. Text Daniel to 989898 today. They have countless five-star reviews, um, A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau, very knowledgeable customer service. When you get their info kit, you'll call them up. They'll walk you through it, give you as much time as you need, um, explain exactly where the gold is held, what to diversify in, which sort of coins. And, uh, you know, it's it's definitely worth something. You know, it's it's literally the opposite, the antithesis of eating bugs, owning nothing, and being happy. happy. You will own something of value. Begin that process by texting Daniel to 989898. And folks, it is interesting. You know, I was thinking... If everyone would have to write a check on this date, we'd have a different country. But the problem is that withholdings tends to have the effect of giving people who don't really pay taxes the impression that they do. And people who do pay taxes, they kind of don't realize it because they write it off. And if anything, like, you know, let's say they owe, you know, they wind up getting 40000 30000 taken out of their income. Well, they'll get then two, $3,000 back from overpayments, overwithholdings, so it looks like you're getting money. Uh, obviously, that is an idea that definitely needs to be implemented. But again, as we've noted, they've found other ways through the Federal Reserve and printing money, aside from tax revenue, of creating the Fourth Reich. And the Fourth Reich is really what we are up against. That's the reality. We need a national leverage point. We cannot wait until January 2025, until the presidential election or the you know inauguration of the next president. That is obvious. We must take care of this now. We cannot go on when we have a government targeting our life with biomedical tyranny. Um, and, and God knows what else they're doing and have been doing with the food supply and who knows uh, Peter McCullough is working on this whole thing with um, not just the mRNA and the food supply, but all the this whole business with autism going from one in 40,000 to one in 36 in one generation, and then how that ties into the trannyism. Again, not everyone who practices that is autistic, and certainly not everyone who has autism gets involved in that, but there does seem to be some sort of pipeline. There's hormone therapy, and then... Uh, there's definitely some sort of connection going on there, some sort of physical, clinical avenue, aside from the psychological grooming of a generation, you know, with all the media and books and curriculum and all sorts of things. That's probably most of it. But we cannot even begin to imagine the crimes committed against humanity. The weaponization of government against our life, liberty, property, way of life, quality of life, and culture. So it's the federal targeting, it's the biomedical warfare, it's the destruction of the automobile, the symbol of our freedom, freedom of movement unrestricted, the surveillance state, the trannyism, the borderless state, the anarcho-tyranny, we need to address as many of those issues as possible. What I've noted all along is with the debt ceiling, and that's what I want to really delve into today, it's not just about debt and a spending figure and a balanced budget. I don't care at this point about a balanced budget. 
I'll be honest with you. We are well beyond that. That was back in the day when I felt a patriotic duty. I loved our country, and we just couldn't let it slide. We need to fix Social Security. We need to fix this. You, you ain't fixing anything. That, that, that thing is a maggot-infested carcass. You need to defeat, defang, and defund weaponized government against our life and liberty. So it's not a matter of the dollar expenditure of a government agency and program and the corresponding cuts that you want to do to it in return for raising the debt ceiling or passing a budget bill. It's the quality, the quality of those cuts. And it has to touch upon those aforementioned issues. And I just want to give one example of what I think needs to be at the top of the list, and I've said this before, the green energy agenda. There's no question about it. The green energy agenda is the big thing that between the debt ceiling and the budget bills, we need to stop the net zero agenda and particularly the electric car fascism. That is the vaccination of our liberty and economy. Little known, didn't get a lot of fanfare, but last week the EPA announced emission standards that in their view will create a reality that by 2030, that's not in a lot of time, just a few years, 60% of all cars will be electric vehicles and two-thirds will be electric by 2032. So aside from the $7,500 tax credit per electric vehicle and the billions in subsidies for battery production and charging stations, that's not enough to destroy the traditional automobile. They're looking to do more. They're just going to straight up regulate it out of existence. Now, as we mentioned before, it's not that their goal is to take – I'm just making it up. I think it's roughly 3 million cars sold a year in the U.S. Take that same volume and just transfer it to EVs, these freakish, weird-sounding electric vehicles. That would be bad enough. No, they don't want you with a Tesla. They, they'll be with the Tesla. You will be with the bike. See, they're not stupid. They know it's not sustainable. They know we don't have the lithium and the nickel and the uh, aluminum, um, cobalt, all those things to produce millions of batteries a year. They know we don't have the charging stations even with the hundreds of billions they pumped into that bill. They know that if we did, we don't have the electricity for that um, because electricity is rapidly becoming more expensive than gasoline. They know this, and that's why concurrently they make – the purpose, see, if you are trying to just invest in green energy, like, like you're just grifting, and it certainly is grifting, temporarily they're going to have an increase in electric vehicles to juice up their cronies while they're at it. But the goal isn't electric vehicles. The goal is no vehicle. Because if, if the, that was the goal, you would really go all out on electricity. But they're destroying coal which historically produced the lion's share of electricity without concurrently juicing up nuclear energy at all. I just saw coal-fired electricity generation in the U.S. for the first three months of the year was down more than 25%. Coal just accounts for just 17% of the power market. It was 22% last year's massive drop in you know, just uh, half a generation ago, it was close to 40%. So they're not stupid. 
they're going to have fake wind solar power to generate a massive surge unprecedented in humankind to electrify vehicles. In other words, it ain't happening. And they know that. See, too many of my colleagues are like, they laugh at this off. Oh, it's a joke. It's not sustainable. It's never going to happen. It is sustainable for what they want. (laughs) They don't want to move us all to electric vehicles. They want to create that exact desired result. They're still going to telegraph to the market the end of the automobile. It might not be on that timeline on that percentage, but they're making regular vehicles prohibitively expensive between the scarcity and the cost with the restrictions and the construction of them. And then obviously the forcibly um, regulating and subsidizing the auto manufacturers into electric vehicles. They're going to make it that you basically can't afford it. They're but their goal is to box middle-income America out of the traditional American dream of a modest home, one or two cars, certainly two, but even one, a bank account, all of it. All of it. This is what people couldn't understand with COVID. I keep telling people, it's not just about biomedical fascism in your body and your health and you can't get treatment. They force deadly treatments on you. That in itself is the biggest issue you could ever confront. But the point is, if they're willing to openly do that, they're going to do that same degree of arson to your property, your money, your liberty, your way of life. And they are doing it. That's what needs to be addressed. It's not just a budget figure. And, and that also speaks more to people. Let's face it. Historically, the American people don't give a darn about the deficit. They just don't. We know that. This is how you have to message it. So we're going to see what happens later today um, with the news coming out about the debt ceiling deal. Um, Also, just wanted to, again, plug, I will be in Fredericksburg, Texas at Patriot Academy's new campus on Sunday. Um, Those of you who are joining me, really looking forward to meeting you at our five-day constitutional defense handgun training course with Rick Green and the boys at Patriot Academy. Uh, You'll learn constitutional knowledge as well as how to win a gunfight, meaning how to clear malfunctions, marksmanship, safety awareness, uh, trigger control, five-point draw from the holster, so much fun. Uh, If you couldn't make it next week, don't fret it. Go to patriotacademy.com slash daniel. And they have a full schedule for May, June, and July. The weather is actually going to be beautiful there next week, uh, kind of on the cooler side, which is much better. I prefer going when it's cooler. You're out on the range all day. $500 for a $2,000 course. Um, if you want to look at the logistics of it, it's again, it's there online, patriotacademy.com slash Daniel, or email them if you have questions at defense at patriotacademy.com. Let me know if you have questions as well. Um, but it, it is so much fun. We get to meet together, strategize together, and shoot together. Really, really good time there at Patriot Academy. So before we bring on Thomas Massey, um, just want to get a couple of things off the plate today. Uh, one thing is in Mississippi, I can, courtesy of attorney Aaron Siri, we've had him on a lot They won a ruling from a federal court in Mississippi to void out their law denying religious exemptions for vaccines. 
a lot of states have very limited religious exemptions, but Mississippi and West Virginia, yes, two ruby red states had zero, zero exemption for religious liberty um, uh, for, for the vaccine school or school vaccine van- mandates. They are, you know, that will be terminated as of July. Now, we'll see if they appeal it to the Fifth Circuit. Um, look, I'd rather the legislature deal with it, but look, I'll take any victory the way it can go. But it's truly pathetic that it took this to get that there, but definitely uh, some some degree of good news in that case. Um, one other thing on that frontier, where is this? On the COVID front. And, and again, just talking about weaponization of government. So remember that Congress finally repealed the vaccine mandate in the military. But not really, because they're basically just they're not kicking them out, but they're discriminating against them. This is from the Epic Times. Even though the U.S. military has rescinded the COVID-19 vaccine mandate, an attorney alleges that some service members who refuse to get the shot are still facing retaliatory action. So there's a case of a retired lieutenant colonel, um, not a case of but but uh, Davis Younce, he told the Epic Times that many of his clients are facing retaliation for their religious convictions and they're just making their lives miserable. And it's a, it's a growing trend. An airman was picked for a random polygraph in early 2022. It was his first polygraph in seven years. It occurred 30 days before his separation from the service, which was initiated before any protections offered by a federal injunction for any member of the Air Force seeking religious exemption. Another airman who said his clearance was pulled, the only thing that could they could say is that they had a loss of trust in his judgment. He said a lack of judgment is a rare reason to lose one's security clearance. clearance. And they believe it was due to the vaccine stuff. The, the airman wrote a very detailed letter to his leadership outlining why he was objecting to the vaccine. So he believes he was punished for that. The the broad point here is this is a lot more than just a budgetary issue. This is what I mean when I say we need national divorce. You can't live with you you can't live with a government like this and you can't live with the people who respect and reflect that government. So it's half the country like that. I mean everyone's watching what's going on in Chicago now. You can't live with that the rioting and everything, we need to self-separate. But a big part of why we didn't want to give up on America was what? What was the big pride of America, our military? Our military is gone. Even after Congress took off the mandate, they're still either organically doing it or there's edicts being promulgated from the top to do this. But the military is now like serving in Hollywood. It's the armpit of wokeness. What are we going to do about that? What's the answer to that? I don't have many good answers to that. Because again, we're coming way too late. The time to have fixed that, well, there was a pretty powerful man who was just president who could have done something about that, but instead he elevated all those people to civilian uh, cabinet posts. But I don't even know if it could have been fixed then already. Who knows? But this is the point. 
We have a weaponized government. And we need to prioritize not us trying to save government, but us trying to save ourselves from the weaponization of government. We have to prioritize those top four, five, six things that if we don't rectify them immediately, we will not be able to live in any framework of culture, humanity, economy, life, liberty, property that we've been used to enjoying our entire lives any longer. That's what we need to keep in mind. Not this degree of budget cut, that degree of budget cut. That's not where it's at. Now, as we're going to talk about with Thomas Massey, I don't mind Kevin McCarthy having like a 1% spending cut bill that doesn't really address woke and weaponization as a, as a way of, you know, because Democrats are not going to pass it, as saying, look, we here's the debt ceiling deal, take it or leave it, as a way of strengthening his negotiation, as long as he plans between either the debt ceiling and the appropriation bills headed into the September 30th FY 2024 budget deadline to address those, then fine. But if that's just a way of just getting us pregnant on supporting a debt ceiling increase and then he'll cave, well, then that's a problem. So that's what we're going to explore on the other side with Thomas Massey. But this interview today is sponsored by one of our new uh, partners, Barrel Buddy. I just got my kit, uh, gun cleaning kit, state of the art. Let's face it, you all hate cleaning your guns. Um, it's kind of like getting your seven-year-old to brush his teeth. You just don't want to do it. It's messy. It smells, you know, all the solvents and everything you use. Uh, you get your hands all dirty. Um, those of you who are not used to that. And, but, you know, it, it's something you got to do. Those of you who are going to come out with me next week to Patriot Academy, we typically shoot about 700 rounds during those five days. You absolutely need to clean that gun. It's a safety issue. Um, any good gun should always fire and not jam so long as you clean it. So Barrel Buddy, it's a, it's a group of guys, Jim, Eric, and Paul. They've been doing this for 10 years out of Michigan. Um, they created this, this cartridge that you push down in just one swoop. It has this compression that gets out all the gunk while simultaneously squeezing the solvent out, and then you could run it in again with lube to give a nice uniform uh, lube because you don't want too much or too little. And that's always the big challenge, and a lot of people are like, I don't know how to do it. I'll just pay to have the gunsmith do it. But no, I mean, why pay for that? It's very cost-effective. Go to BarrelBuddy.com today. It, it, it's 15 bucks for 50 of these cartridges um, you stick it down, and boom, no cloth, no dirtiness. I, I did it without even getting my hands dirty. Um, and again, you're confident you're getting a uniform, proper con compression, uniform application. And you know, sometimes in life, you got to jam a round peg in a round hole, and that's exactly what our friends at Barrel Buddy do. Cleaning our guns is really important. Make it fun, make it efficient, make it effective at BarrelBuddy.com. So speaking of Barrel Buddy, um, we got on the line here someone who certainly has a lot of barrels to clean out. Um, but in addition to that, he has to clean out the gunk in our woke and weaponized government. Congressman Thomas Massey, no stranger to this program, no stranger 
to dirty fights with filthy government uh, men who now sits on the weaponization subcommittee as zone subcommittee chairmanship on judiciary and he is part of rules committee so he is certainly aware of what is going on a part of it inside and outside at the same time congressman massey great to have you back again oh great to be on your show yeah we had uh a 9 a.m. to 10 a.m., and it went extra innings, I think, uh, a conference meeting this morning with Republicans where Kevin McCarthy went over the contours of the debt deal he or debt limit increase deal he's proposed. So I wanted to go through that because, to me, I'm less concerned about just specific details now versus a big picture vision and messaging. What what I'm looking for, and I think everyone's looking for, is that we are going through the rise of the Fourth Reich. I mean, I, I don't know how to describe a deliberate attack on our life, liberty, property, way of life. You know, it used to be, they're like, yeah, it's outrageous. Prices are so expensive. And now they're like, yeah, that's a good thing. I mean, we we need to get rid of your cars. Like, you know, yeah, we're we're, we're doing this. Whether it's the vaccines, whether it's the political targeting, whether it's the tranny grooming, whether it's just you know the surveillance state, the central uh, digital currency and ESG and all this stuff, you know it's not it's no longer about a balanced budget, a particular spending figure. Yes, you know spending does contribute to inflation, obviously, but is there are you confident that there is a vision? beyond just trying to get something and save face for raising the debt ceiling? Wow, you depressed me with your list of things that are (laughs) bearing down on our republic right now. Um, I mean, so here's here's what was proposed in the rough contours. The proposal is like some limits on spending for the next 10 years, which is the responsible thing to do. It does include this year, in this next fiscal cycle, uh, cutting spending to 2022 levels, not 2023, but to 2022 levels. So that would be significant if we could make that stick. Uh, Now, there's also a clawback of all the COVID money that was allocated but hasn't been spent yet, which they say is about $50 billion. Trust me, they're going to spend that somehow, somewhere. And also proposed in this was to make sure that the student loan debt doesn't get forgiven. That's like half a trillion dollars, they claim. Although I don't know how you guarantee somebody doesn't do that later uh, after yeah. they say they won't do it. The debt limit thing. Um, there, there was a proposal, um, but it's not quite in this yet, to take some of the green energy tax credit stuff mm. out. They say if we put that in there, now we're opening up the tax code and the senators will add tax increases and send the bill back. Uh, the one thing that I wanted to be in there was not in there. Uh, and that is uh, setting us up to win on the 12 appropriations bills. And that because that laundry list of things that you just mentioned that depressed me greatly and are affecting, you know, our way of life, the only way we can, we can, change that is through the spending bills through passing 12 separate spending bills, resolving those with the Senate and sending those to Biden's desk. Now the debt limit is a separate issue from those 12 separate bills. But if we could do something in the debt limit that makes it more certain that we could take those rifle shots 
in other words, targeted uh, yeah. power of the purse exercise. Biomedical uh, tyranny in HHS, green climate fascism at EPA, all that type of stuff. Disinformation board, the spying, you know, the, all the Orwellian things. If we want to target those, it's got to be in the 12 separate bills. So here's my proposal, which I, I stood up and I said it to the conference and I said it to Kevin McCarthy once again, um, that if it were up to me, in exchange for resolving this current crisis, which is the debt limit, which they say would cause us to default if we don't raise it, in exchange for resolving that problem, we should get Joe Biden and the Senate to promise they will not shut down the government on October 1st because the September 30th is the spending deadline. Now, some of your listeners would probably like the government shut down. Uh, it doesn't really concern me. I'll get reelected even if the government does shut down uh, because it's that important. Things need to happen. And if you want to play, the, if the Democrats want to play a game of chicken of driving us over the cliff um, versus, you know, us standing up for principles, I'm willing to do that. But here's the problem, Daniel, or not all Republicans are willing to stand yeah. up in that fight. And, and what will happen if we don't employ. So let me back up. So my plan is this. If they uh, get the Senate as a condition of the House raising the debt limit, get the Senate to promise that our fallback position on October 1st will be to fund the government across the board. This is called a CR at 98 percent. In other words, do a 2 percent haircut over everything if we can't agree on which things to cut. Just cut everything 2 percent. This is like twice the penny plan in the uh appropriations. I, I don't want that to happen. You know, I don't want to have a, that's called a CR continuing resolution. I've never voted for a CR, but then again, no CR has ever cut spending. CRs typically are a hundred percent of last year's spending. I think if we have this as a backstop and if we get this as a condition of raising the debt limit this month or next month, that sets us up to win on September 30th. Because CNN can't put a countdown clock on September 30th saying 24 hours until the government shuts down. The CNN countdown clock would say 24 hours until there's a 2% cut in the federal government, in all of federal government. What, what that does is it takes the heat off of some of our weaker sisters yep. here in the Republican Party who, when push comes to shove, if they're faced with shutting down the government uh, – it, or, or, you know, driving a hard, i.e. driving a hard bargain with the Democrats, they would prefer to vote for some omnibus bill that Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell work out together and send over here, which is which will be an anathema because it won't cut any of the thing, an omnibus bill from the Senate where you have the uniparty in the Senate working against us. It will not cut any of the things, zero of the things that you and I are concerned about. It will not cut overall spending. It will be horrible because I've seen it for 10 years in a row. So, so just to wrap it all up, what I would like to see in our debt limit deal is for the, is for the Senate to agree that if we don't come to a spending agreement by October 1st, instead of shutting down the government, we do a 2% cut. So to, to summarize, if I got this straight, the Massey plan, which is, again, mm -hmm. it's not necessarily what you would message ideally, but it's a mixture of what you want 
together with the reality of what we have, which are, you know, a very narrow majority full of a lot of the uh, interesting types of Republicans that have very different, you know, sensibilities and priorities we do. And you're trying to say, what could I do with what we have? So you're saying right. rather than make the debt ceiling the spectacular thing, not really get much, raise it for a year or whatever they want, you know, roughly a year is what they're talking about. Not really get anything inherent so much on that because you feel the better thing is to pass the 12 appropriation bills, get done in each of them what we can, and the House does have majorities. The Republicans have majorities, whereas the Senate, the Democrats, you know, technically don't have 60 votes. So you could get your bills passed. And then, but the one thing you would get from the debt ceiling is say, look, if there's a government, if there's a failure to pass appropriation bills, whether for that individual um, set of departments or the government in totality, then it reverts back to not a shutdown, 98% spending, but 2% cut. So they they are always facing that pain if they choose not to play ball. You're saying that would be your one ask right. over the RAINS Act and maybe, you know, the drilling and, you know, 1% requirements spending for welfare, cuts. And, which the, yeah, the different things the that they want to get around. Put put in there, um, you feel that the better fight, given the dynamic of what we have, is the appropriation bills. Did, did I get that correct? Absolutely correct. And we had a member of the, if if your if your listeners are in doubt about how weak uh, our conference is, and by conference I mean Republicans, we had somebody stand up today in the closed meeting. And say, if you all don't, if, if we can't get to 218 on a debt limit increase, I'm going to go with the Democrats and sign a discharge petition. Now, if, if anybody ever, I'm not for kicking people off committees, but if anybody ever deserved to be kicked off a committee, I think it should be for, for threatening the rest of the conference that they will uh, walk across the aisle and, and sign a petition with Nancy Pelosi and do a clean debt limit increase and take away all of our negotiating power. But one of the members of the Republican Party threatened that very thing in the, in the meeting today. And he's not, it's not just him. There are enough of him that they could carry out that threat and do an end run. And they, if they would do that on the debt limit increase, they will do that in September on the omnibus. They would say, if you all won't pass the omnibus, if we can't get 208, I'm going to go over and sign a discharge petition with the Democrats. And what a discharge petition is, is it circumvents the speaker. And um, sure. instead of the speaker being – or the rules committee bringing a bill to the floor, it would be basically 218 members, if you can get 218 signatures, can bill, bring a bill to the floor. And it's, it's a tool of the minority Sure. Although sometimes it could be the majority because you have the rhinos with them and that that always creates a majority. So this is the funny thing we're into. Again, I know it's like it takes a lot of the Freedom Caucus proposals and McCarthy's proposal kind of like echoes that a little bit, but waters down a lot of the things. It's not pre-COVID level spending. It's 2022. They don't really have getting rid of the full, you know, um, you know, green energy bonanza last year, but maybe indulge it a little bit. So I, I get it. And I am inclined to support this and say, because even though it doesn't have your strategy either, um, but I understand that he has this problem from the left flank 
which I want to get to in a minute, the nature of that that left flank. But here's my concern. I am fine with I don't because because whatever it is, the Democrats aren't going to pass it. The Senate's not going to pass it. And we're at this impasse, which, you know, I believe is a good thing because I think we need a galvanizing moment. But but the question is, do you believe McCarthy's operating in good faith that he genuinely wants to set the tone to defang weaponized government, either through the debt ceiling, the appropriation bills or a mixture of both? Or is this just a way of getting our members pregnant on supporting a 12-month debt ceiling increase? And then, all right, some good stuff, not everything wanted. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, it's, well, you know, it didn't really work. And then, you know, we got we, we to gotta just raise it with something notional. Instead of impugning his intentions or his motivations, let me say that I am worried, in spite of his best intentions and his best efforts, what they may be, he will lose the conference because of the the uh, liberal Republicans. He'll lose them in September on the spending fight. And uh, it won't matter if he's really trying or not. He won't, I'm afraid, based on what I've seen in the 10 years I've been here. And by the way, this has happened every all 10 years. There's only one variation on it that I've seen. So let's let's discuss this possibility. We may get to September 30th and everybody may agree to do a short term CR until the week before Christmas. <laughs> yeah, of and course. You've seen this one, too. Right. And then it's the week before Christmas where even you lose even more Republicans in our conference to the seductive siren of uh, come home for Christmas and be with your family instead of being up there with Nancy Pelosi and and not passing this omnibus, just pass this omnibus and you can go home. The joke here in D.C. is there's nothing uh, as intoxicating to get people to vote yes as the smell of jet fuel from the D.C.A. airport wafting over here to Congress like they get they, they get real pregnant when they smell the jet fuel and the chance to go home for Christmas. But the real the deadline is September 30th. They move, may move it to December because I've seen them do that in the past. But whether our conference caves in September or December, they often they always cave because they don't want to get blamed for a shutdown. But 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 why do you view that as more scary from their perspective when the more imminent deadline, whether it's June or July or whatever, is the debt ceiling when you have this fake specter of immediate default, which is not true. Um, but immediate, because, you know, if you pay your interest on the debt, you don't have that. But to me, that comes with a much bigger price in terms of the way these guys think. Why are you so sure that it's the September thing that's going to get them off the reservation? Aren't they just going to immediately panic to vote with the Dems to raise the debt limit just straight up, I don't know, in a month or two from now? Well, they may. <laughs> they may. But and again, that's when they panic, it's because we're losing the argument in the court of public opinion. And tell I mean, I think I have the argument that can win the day in the court of public yeah. opinion. In fact, it's the squishes who like my plan. By squishes, I mean the, the people who are uh, most likely to defect yeah. in a fight. 
they like my plan because they know they can win the me- they have a chance to win the messaging if yeah. the message is we're the adults in the room instead of shutting down the government we've put in a backstop which is a 2% cut of government instead of a 100% cut yeah it's a 2% cut and then we can the- move towards the messaging as i mentioned before that the american people care about let's face it people don't care about a budget number they just don't they just don't They never did. They don't care about the deficit. But when you start explaining they are spying on you, they're poisoning you, they're stealing your car, they want you to eat bugs and live in 15-minute cities, this stuff ends now. Um, We have so many good things on the fact that they want the Teslas, they want you guys to have the bikes. I mean, I think that is where you make it real. Right now, it's like these budgetary things. And I, even with the student loan things, while it's egregious, and we all understand what it does to inflation and tuition, but it's interesting how Republicans are so hardcore on that, but like nothing else. And, you know, because that's a budgetary <laughs> figure. It, I'm just telling it's not going to connect with the public. And my concern is, is that they don't have a good message that that we have a weaponized government destroying the life, liberty, um, you know, cost of living, standard of living of humanity. They are pricing the middle class out of the American dream. That, I think, is a better message than a 1% this. Uh, let's target 527 billion non-discretionary defense. It's like they're sure. getting lost in these numbers. What, what you're doing is kind of faci- saying, I'll have a budgetary fight over the debt ceiling to facilitate that in the probes fight, we could have the fight over policies, over the weaponization. My concern now is that this is just the road to Cave City, and it's not even good messaging. It, I'm afraid it is the road to Cave City. Oh, boy. <laughs> and I, By the way, there's a Cave City, Kentucky, which, oh, with no. caves, like for spelunking. <laughs> I don't mean to that place in Kentucky. I mean, you know, we're going to cave. Uh, it's, it's, Daniel, for me, it's like Groundhog Day. This will be my 11th. I think roughly appropriations process. It always turns out the same way. And just like, you know, Bill Murray, I wake up trying to figure out how to do something different this year. And I think I've happened on something, which is put this backstop in so that it's a 2% cut instead of a government shutdown that gives people more stamina to fight. But they'll oppose that. I, I agree with you. I'm just saying, but Biden will oppose that. He will, but if, uh, but if the if the weaker Republicans in this fight agree with me, then we've got a chance yeah. of sticking together without them running across the aisle wow. and signing a discharge petition, uh, you know, Cave City, as you called it, discharge petition with the Democrats and then uh, to raise the debt limit. And then they'll do the same thing on the omnibus. So the big news that you're revealing today to the audience is that this rhino problem is a lot bigger than people appreciate. It's all a matter of, okay, whether our kind of wing of the party, uh, if you consider me part of the party, you know, will accept this or have issues with it. I am willing to sympathize with with McCarthy over this, except there's one problem. What I do fault his ilk for is that what this means is that this cancer has been growing for so long and they have fought us tooth and nail on these primaries. Like, 
I was floored. I, I read somewhere in Politico, I thought the Tuesday group or whatever they call those guys, the Rhino Caucus, was defunct. And in fact, they said there's 50 members of it. 50. I mean, where, that doesn't happen by accident. The Democrats don't have, you know, 50 members that support conservative values. Right now, 50 members did not disappear. They're still here. What's different, and by the way, we still have about the same number of conservatives. What is different this Congress is that our majority, depending on who's sick and who's, you know, present, is only three, four or five members on any given day. And they can't ignore the conservatives anymore. But the 40 or 50 have another path they have threatened to use as of today in the conference, which is to sign a discharge petition with Nancy Pelosi and to override the Republican majority. But but, 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 Thomas, did McCarthy and his kind of allies learn the lesson of the primaries that you created this fifth column? I mean, you have people like this Tony Gonzalez in Texas that's blowing up border security, attacking Chip Roy. Um, Of course, another another one of Trump's uh, stellar endorsements, the Trump establishment between Trump and and the establishment. They they. This is the big news of today. I wasn't even planning on talking about this, but the upshot of what you're saying is that even if we're willing to play ball and say, you know what, we'll tamp down some of our expectations. All right, Kevin, we we have your back. We'll do it. And yet there's a four-seat majority, but it's not even right. four. It's yeah. a lot more yeah. than that. It's There's a whole group of these guys. I'm concerned that you're correct, that this, this could be a way to get everybody pregnant to get conservatives pregnant members of our conference republicans and then to leave them at the altar (laughs) i don't probably don't want to go too far with this metaphor uh and and run off with the with the moderates Uh, unbelievable because i don't know i don't know what the next step is we all know this is an opening offer in a negotiation. And I agree with Kevin. In fact, I think we should have done it sooner. We need to put something together to get 218 Republican votes and send it to the Senate before they send us something that has 60 votes in the Senate. If we move first, because right now, Joe Biden and Chuck Schumer are saying, ah, they can't even, they can't even get 218 for anything. They can't govern. So if what we need to do. I wouldn't leave Congress this week without doing it. Well, I, it I also Kevin, doesn't I, help that you guys are out half the time. I mean, right? We've been out for two weeks, and we're going to be, be out April twenty eighth too. Yeah, so it's nonstop. I would. I think we should go back into that room. It's the room number is HC five. I think we should be back there tomorrow morning hashing this out. Yeah, because um, I am all for, you know, even though it's not my vision, but yeah, if this sets it up, I'm fine. We'll give him the 218, but there's got to be a broader vision. For example, every day there's egregious stories of what government does to take a sledgehammer to our liberty, our privacy, and our way of life. And and I don't just mean things that juice up the GOP base, but but things that would resonate broadly. But there's no unified message around them. And what I would do is with a protracted debt ceiling and budget fight, as these news stories come out, you you make demands and you make that the centerpiece of the issue, um, especially after, you know, if they're able to pass something. 
Um, but man, I'm 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 worried about that. Well, two of the things that are that I forgot to mention that are in Kevin's deal. Now that you brought them up, brought up that topic is the Reigns Act. I think they're saying would be in this deal. Wait, wait. So that is we, in there. And just for the for people that don't remember, this is an idea from last decade. Basically, anything that the federal government promulgates, say the EPA, that has a cost to the economy of more than a hundred million or so would need affirmative congressional support to take root. Right. So, for example, what Which they just did last week with, like, you know, 60% of all cars shall be electric vehicles by 2030, you know, that certainly, you know, cost an endless sum of money. Um, that would need affirmative buy-in. That would be a systemic tool to end this economic and societal Correct. transformation without representation. It's a Correct. unifying point. All Republicans support it. It's an old idea, but a good idea. Um, you know, and, and, and again, if they stand behind that, I am all for that because that does speak a little bit to the weaponization. Yes. And then also um, H.R. 1, which has got a bunch of good policy on energy, I think is in it. It is, it is a grab bag of a lot of great things. My my concern is is like you said if if our conference isn't resolved not if if there are let me put it differently if six of our conference are willing to walk across the aisle and join the Democrats the first time sixty senators send us an alternative then our all of this uh, ideation is dead yeah the, our 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 opening offer, it's not even that we don't get our opening offer. We get nothing. We get whatever Schumer and McConnell agree to if six of our Republicans want to defect and go do a discharge petition. So my concern, so so when you ask me to evaluate the intention or motivation of McCarthy, I would have, if, you know, I would have preferred when that person got up today and said, I'm, if you guys don't get to 218 here soon, I'm going to walk across the aisle and join the Democrats. McCarthy was in the room and, and had a microphone and could have said, now wait there. Uh, that's not going to be tolerated because yes. if you are, if you're willing to do that and willing to get up and say that, how do I go over and tell Joe Biden, this is the deal and I'll take it. Like, that's what I want to be confident of. That if if I'm Scott Perry, let's say the the chairman of the Freedom Caucus, and Scott Perry gave a rousing speech today. <laughs> we each get one minute, and he did a great job in his one minute. No, no, and and that's the thing. But if I were him, I, I and meeting with McCarthy, I wouldn't say like I want a laundry list. I say, look, here are some basic principles. But even more than any one provision, we want to be able to facilitate the defanging of the weaponization of government through the appropriations process, however you achieve that. And I need to know that if we give you the right flank, which we're willing to do, you will pound the rhinos into the ground and say, all right, you know, beyond maybe one or two negotiating points that let's say they don't like one or two things. Okay, but this is the red line. We're going to stick together. This will be the national inflection moment. And they will be punished for for deviating from that. That's the confidence I think you you guys need to get. But I'll give you the last word here. No, I think you're on to something. I think the next ask <laughs> needs to be of McCarthy to make sure he will rally the conference and, and won't uh, treat defectors with kid gloves. Now, 
it's, you know, this is tough. I've always been independent myself. Uh, (laughs) And and to be honest, the motion to vacate relies on every Democrat and and a few Republicans to. uh, So just to be intellectually honest, it's tough for me to insist that McCarthy, you know, threaten to kick these people off their committees or whatever if they if they go off the reservation and join the <laughs> join the Democrats. So, uh, you know, I find but, it amazing, Thomas, just as you're talking, just thinking about that Republicans have a mirror majority of what the Democrats just had. They never had this problem. <laughs> they result. They never had it open as openly as we do. They always got behind a closed door and resolved it somehow. Sometimes it meant uh, AOC violated her principles. Sometimes it meant uh, Pelosi and, and the and the less radical Democrats got drugged, <laughs> dragged into a radical position, and um, that helped us get the majority. The, the fact I, yesterday in my rules committee, sorry to diverge, and I know you're trying to wrap this up, but yesterday in our rules committee, uh, Mark Takano, representative Mark Takano, said that men, biological men who identify as women, even if they've got all of their reproductive organs intact, should be able to go to the same bathrooms as as girls. Uh and that that's not any way in any way assaulting people. Anyways, I'm giving you an example of where the the left has moved radically to the left yep. because they have stuck together. But the right never moves to the right when we stick together. <laughs> no, that's my point. That's my point. Yeah. They might have their AOC flank, but it's a matter of do you want people eating bugs in the 15-minute cities you know, on this timeline or that timeline? They're all right, fundamentally right. there, whereas we have 40, 50 guys that squarely there's a values issue there. And um, that is very disturbing, very, very disturbing. Real it's brief. Be- Oh yeah, it's got to be it's got to be sorted out in the primaries. Like why why are these Republicans in these congressional districts sending us these people Th- who that is don't my concern. hold Republican conservative values who say, "Well, I'll just go join the Democrats." Well, the difference, by the way, on yeah. a, on a motion to vacate. Now, just t- talking through this, where Republicans join Democrats to get rid of a speaker is the Republicans who are doing it ostensibly would be doing it because the speaker doesn't hold Republican values. And it's just convenient that the Democrats like to see chaos. And so they'll vote with it for a change in the speaker. And also politically, they can't really vote for the Republican speaker. So they're inclined to vote against him. Whereas uh, to do a discharge petition, if, if these are moderate Republicans who join with the Democrats, it's, it's to undercut, uh, conservative values. Yep. No, no question. And and they would all do it. Um, before I let you go, I'd be remiss not to just get your reaction to um, the presidential campaign. You came out and endorsed Ron DeSantis before he's even running. What's behind that calculus? And does that tie in at all to what we're talking about today with the, with the problems within the conference? Well, 
Well, first of all, I couldn't uh, be more confident in an endorsement than that one that I made mm. of uh, Governor Ron DeSantis because I served with him for six years. And he and I uh, fought the leadership here. Like, he knows the he knows the dysfunction that exists in this Congress. He knows what we're up against. He has uh, motivated the Florida legislature which, I mean, state legislatures are even more rhino in most cases than the D.C., uh, oh, yeah. you know, than the federal legislature. Uh, but he found a way to motivate them to get to conservative values on a lot of things. And redistricting, uh, you know, pro-life, uh, 2A. And I think because he has that legislative experience, I don't think, I know. I mean, I served with him here for years. And we talked about this, and I've seen him speak about it since then, about how we need to use the power of the purse, and we've been feckless, and we don't do it. And he's talked on video uh, recently in a video that I shared about how we need to go after the FBI and the DOJ. They are not a fourth branch of government. They work for the president, and they're funded by Congress. So are you kind of suggesting that his record as governor dealing with a Republican legislature kind of stands in contrast with the national executive who served at that time with a Republican trifecta and the results thereof in terms of the budget. Yeah. Yes. Um, (laughs) I don't, I don't think Ron DeSantis would sign an omnibus bill that didn't have his uh, marquee issues that he campaigned on and won. It just wouldn't happen. He would send it back to Congress and say, don't don't insult me this way. Whereas we had a president who signed every CR and every omnibus and none of them had the, the wall in it, his signature issue. Uh, yeah, but he might have learned less in this was, time. I mean, now he'll really be fierce. We had a president uh, who was convinced uh, that the the DOJ and the FBI, that he should be afraid of them. And treat them with kid gloves, and put and and elevate people <laughs> in those organizations that had been there. Talked about the deep state, but then named deep state actors to run them. Um, whereas Governor Ron DeSantis, uh, uh, he he had a Surgeon General who was off the, you know didn't agree with his principles, was more of a practitioner of political science. He fired the guy. And um, uh, got a got a new Surgeon General who who followed science. So interesting personnel, uh, so, process, policy, understanding yeah. the issues, facts matter. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, it's almost Decisive, like God has a sense of humor. Just in in terms of the contrast, it's unreal. Decisive but not impulsive is what we need. Decisive and, but not impulsive. I'll write that one down. Oh boy, um, I don't know. We need some big change. I just don't understand how you can go on this long with the imbalance between the two parties. Whereas one faction of the country has perfect representation from the Democrat Party, and we kind of have this muddled mix where even when you have winning issues, because like I tell people, it used to be very tough because the Democrats on the surface really emoted about the middle class, the cost of living. That's what the traditional Democrats were, and the, you know. 
And it took a little bit more knowledge to understand that what they were doing is harmful. But now they're openly like, we don't want you to have good stuff. It's not hard to fight against that if you have a coherent, unified message. But that's my takeaway that we don't. And you have a bunch of survivalists there. They're just trying to survive. They're just there because I don't know. They have different values, opposite values, no values. Um, hmm. Man, that's tough. But I think we're all kind of counting on you that you have a seat at that rules committee. And if there's something really egregious on our uh, side, you guys could blow it up. Well, I call it the Moab. Chip Roy and Ralph Norman and I have the Moab in the rules committee. We we haven't even put in the detonation codes yet. <laughs> but the fact that the Moab exists creates a lot more polite and inclusive process and not to toot our own horn, but somebody needs to hear this. We've gone a hundred days without violating our own rules. This has never happened in the 10 years I've been in Congress. There's almost always a motion to, to uh, suspend the 72 hour rule that, you know, that gives us 72 hours to read a bill or to suspend the germaneness rule or, yeah. or some of this, you know, where you can't put unrelated amendments. We've gone a hundred days without, yeah, without but, violating. But any to of be that. fair, you know, it was very carefully scripted. The bills that they had problems with, they just scuttled, didn't bring to the floor. Now we're getting to the meat and potatoes of the session. Yo, the meat, the meat and potatoes is the spending. It's not. It's yeah. not even the debt limit. There is there is leverage to be had on the debt limit. The meat and potatoes is the September thirtieth deadline when we either fund or don't fund all of the things we hate, and uh, and how you get to that agreement to pass an omnibus. They will have to suspend rules, like to pass a Schumer-McConnell omnibus in the House. Rules will, would have to be suspended in the Rules Committee. And uh, I think Scott Perry used this analogy today. Uh, Kevin McCarthy said something. It, I think it was Scott who said that was the Old Testament. We're in the New Testament now, and there's a new way of doing things. <laughs> so quit talking about the Old Testament. Well, uh, you know, that's that's the thing. I mean, now we have our leverage. You're going to have a lot of people that will have your back. Um, you know, and, and if it's not united, we'll have to do it in, in a disunified way. But at least there's going to have to be some group of people standing for the issues yeah. that matter in the way they matter at the time they matter. You're always there as as usual. Um, thanks so much for joining us today and give them hell, all right? All right. I give. It's like I hate to quote a Democrat, but Harry Truman said I'll give them the truth and they'll think it's hell. And that's the way to do it. That's the way we do it, brother. Thank you very much, Daniel. Take care. Bye-bye. So there you have it, folks. Thomas Massey, the one and only, really no one like him, once in a generation type of person. Uh, you know, like there's no BS. He says the same thing to you, public or private. Um, I could have had that. Those are the type of conversations I would have with him offline. So I figured you guys may as well hear it. You know, just strategizing back and forth, speaking out loud. Let me know what you guys think. Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com. Um, what would you do if you were in his position, if you were in McCarthy's position? But but the, the bottom line is we can't forget the fact that I've been fighting this for 15 years. Others have been as well. We've had primaries, and Trump and the Trump establishment and the establishment merging together – They've screwed us on so many of these primaries, so we're left with all these fifth colonists. It's a big, big problem. Lots of interesting nuggets there. I wish I would have uh, brought him on earlier because uh, I, I could listen to him forever 
could have done a full hour with him, but we are done with our full hour here. We are out of time. Uh, again, comments, questions, concerns, you could tweet at me at Conservative. email Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com. Until tomorrow, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.